and welcome back to our fourth episode of Opportunity Thrives, where we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's struggling secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review or to provide input or even to send us questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. That's info at opportunitythrives.com. On today's show, we're going to take a closer look at technology and the gender gap. First off, let me share some alarming stats with you. We want to illustrate the challenge that we are facing with engaging females in computer science. We know that nine out of 10 parents want their child to study computer science, but only 45% of schools teach computer programming. We know that computing makes up two thirds of the projected new jobs in STEM. Computing occupations are among the highest paying jobs for new graduates, yet fewer than 3% of College students graduate with a degree in computer science, and only 10% of the STEM graduates are in computer science. A computer science major can earn more than 40% than the college average. We also know that schools are not required to offer computer science in 32 states, and only 29% of AP computer science students are women, and only 22% are Black, African American, or Latinx. Women who try AP computer science in high school are 10 times more likely to major in it, and Black and Latinx students are seven times more likely. Today, we want to understand what school districts and other organizations are doing to improve these numbers. What are some of the effective strategies for engaging females in computer science and technology courses? And are these strategies making an impact? And most importantly, how can other districts replicate these successes? So let's dive into our show and find out. Our first guest, Sabine Thomas, is the Northwest Regional Manager for Code.org, a nonprofit dedicated to expanding access to computer science in schools and increasing participation by women and underrepresented minorities. The vision of Code.org is to provide every student in every school with the opportunity to learn computer science just as easily as they have the chance to learn biology, chemistry, or algebra. Sabine is passionate about computer science and software development and supports the organization by establishing organizational partnerships throughout the Northwest. It's great to have you on the show, Sabine. We also have Misty Christensen, a business education and AP computer science instructor at Dunwoody High School in DeKalb County School System in Dunwoody, Georgia. After pursuing her teaching degree, she was so inspired by the computing classes she was teaching that she went back to school and to get her degree in business education. Within her district, she supports Girls Who Code, the Robotics Club, the first robotics competition and technology student association to help inspire both young men and women to pursue, to pursue careers in computing. Welcome. To get started, Sabine, I'd love to learn more about how code.org is working with schools and districts to address the dire statistics that we just shared. 
So what is your organization doing to inspire young women to participate in coding and computer science technology courses across the country? Hello, hello, and thank you for having me on the show. Wonderful to be here, Jason. And um, I wanted to be able to share with you a little bit more about our regional partnership, um, first and foremost, to really be able to then dive in into how we support our school, our service districts, as well as our school districts. Uh, we are essentially running nationally, and we're comprised of about 50 to 60 regional partners throughout our states, which include uh, higher learning institutions, public and private partnerships, and very often schools and service districts. Each partner then works very closely with their respective community. And really, this allows us to um, leverage the opportunity to work with organizations that are closely tied within their own communities and really act upon the various statistics you shared with us. There are also certainly varieties of ways then to be able to work very closely with our regional partners to then inspire young women to participate in coding and computer science courses. And they often enlist and or enact on several strategies. The first one is to make sure that a computer course is actually available at their schools, but most importantly, on the master schedule. Then working with teachers, right, to keep um, our young women engaged, um, working with teachers to make sure that they are themselves excited about offering this course. We're also supporting our teachers not only in recruiting, but retaining young women. You certainly talked to us about um, very <laughs> staggering statistics as it pertains to young women and certainly to students of color. And when you're thinking about the intersectionality of a young black woman, we want to make sure that this course makes sense for her to not only attend, but be attracted to attend and retain in the course that she can find herself belonging, not only to the curriculum, but also, and probably most importantly, to the teacher, our, our teacher representative of um, our student populations. We want to make sure that we're not only engaging women, but also um, teachers, teachers of color. Excellent. That's so exciting. Um, tell me, throughout your efforts, are you seeing an impact? Are you seeing more females and more upper, underrepresented communities pursue computer science and technology courses, as well as even potential careers? Yes, yes, that is a great question, and we are, right? We are absolutely engaged in, in making sure that we're making an impact. And one of those major indicators is a number of female students who are actually taking the advanced placement computer science exam. Um, you may already know this, and often associated with the AP exam is the opportunity to pass a test at the end of the year, which guarantees students who scores three and above out of five to actually have access to some of these college credit courses. So we're seeing more and more, that's one of our major indicators, we're seeing more and more female students enrolling and taking the AP exam. We have seen a steady growth since 2014. In 2019, 50,000 female students took the AP science exam, um, which is an increase of about 32% in a year. Excellent. We also found, yes, yes, um, and I just want to highlight that one of the most important aspects of this growth as well, Jason, has been policies. Several, several states have en enacted several policies to make sure that our state uh, passes specific laws to support computer science education. 
Wow, that's fantastic. That's really the, the confluence of policy and practice together. And I think that certainly the efforts of organizations like yours. So thank you for what you're doing. It, it is clearly having an impact. Um, Misty, I'd love to learn more about what you're doing at Dunwoody High School to engage students in computer science and technology courses. Yeah, so um, as far as engaging students, um, I like to think that I'm a people person. So I actually strive to get to know the students um, on more than just an academic level. So as often as I can, I attend sporting events or plays or pep rallies just so I can see the students and what they actually do outside of their academic career. Uh, students, they need to know that you want to know um, them and actually care about their learning. So for class, I actually like to be really interactive. I am not one that I'm going to stand up and lecture the entire time and expect the students to gain anything from what I say. So the first day of the semester this year, I had all my classes set up the computers in my classroom. They had to gather all the required equipment, like the CPU, the monitor, the keyboard, and all the necessary cords, and choose a place to set it up. Uh, I wasn't sure how it worked, but that actually ended up being a favorite of most of the act of the activities of most of the students. So many kids get involved in computer science, and yet they cannot do simple tasks of plugging the cords, the display cables, the network, the keyboard, the mouse in the back of the CPU. So even weeks into the semester, each student has to troubleshoot their own computer when it's not working. So these are kind of some basic principles and information um, that can be invaluable. And I think that's the beginning of getting them excited um, and engaged. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, they're clearly lucky to have you as a teacher in that. Um, in, in your school system and your school, how do kids find out about uh, the courses that you offer? So... When, when kids come up into the new year, at the end of the year, they get a course guide sheet that they can look through. And as they start filling out their schedules, both our administration and our counselors here have been promoting computer science um, just off the charts, which has been amazing. They offer now here, they have it as a science or a math requirement, or they can do it as an elective. And so we've had a lot more join because of that. This has opened several more opportunities for all grades, 9 through 12. Um, I've also found that students also talk a lot. So if they like a class, they talk to all their friends about it and tell them that they should take it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, after the, the opening uh, activity and the course that you talked about, I can see why they'd be talking a lot about that. That's really cool. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, some strategies or tactics that you may use in order to encourage more young women to participate in these great courses that you offer. Um, and is there any ideas that, that you could share that could be replicated through other schools or classrooms? Uh, yeah, uh, right now um, I'm working with the TILS program, which is um, an in-the-classroom program that's supported by Microsoft. So I have working professionals that live around um, Atlanta who volunteer to come into my classroom each week. So they bring their computer programming skills that they do in their industry, all the different examples, and they share them with the students so that students know, hey, when I leave here, I might be able to do this. Um, one of the volunteers, her name is Melody, and she comes in every Thursday or Friday and helps the students. She lets especially all the, the girls know, hey, if I can do this, you can do this. Um, she's been able to show that anyone in here can code, if you, whether you have experience or not, and that you don't have to know everything all the time. So she's actually been a great example 
of one of the things that we've been doing that I think all school districts could benefit from. Um, the school district CTAE department, they're actually working on implementing several clubs with the Girls Who Code at all the high schools. So we don't currently have it here um, because the, the strong focus is trying to bring our engineering and computer science together. So I work with those teachers through helping the students create games, do coding contests, go on field trips, or see guest speakers to help them see what they actually want to do once they get into computer science. Excellent. Uh, it's so interesting. The strategies that you were talking about are things that Sabine mentioned as sort of overarching policies and priorities um, uh, across the country. And, and, you know, I mean, that, that example about bringing a, a, a woman from the business community to represent uh, women in, in that industry, I think is an exceptional example of that. So great work in that. That's, that's really exciting. Um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so, Sabine, what do you think that one of the biggest hurdles is that we need to, to overcome in order to solve the, the gender gap challenge that we see? So this is the question. Um, and I just want to highlight that the backbone of certainly our program at Code.org are teachers just like Misty dedicated to making sure that they're able to, to bring in not only representative from the industry, but really rally up and engage young women. Um, with that said, you know, a lot of the misconceptions about what computer science actually is, what a computer scientist looks like um, is a huge barrier, right? There, there are stereotypes that are created across um, industries and certainly throughout generation that, that, that often girls may not necessarily be suited for programming, right? And these are incredibly persistent and, and harmful, so certainly a, a hurdle. And um, we've, you know, certainly... <laughs> I touch on it quite often, um, and I and I hope it this continues to move. But I also find that a hurdle is not being able to engage parents, right? Parents who are engaged in demystifying what a computer scientist looks like um, in their home at a dinner table um, is more likely to then engage their young women in in their household to pursue a career um, in computer science. So certainly, these are some of, of the hurdles that we're noticing that can hopefully, once we, we overcome them, um, make sure that we, we then bridge that gap. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, I worked in the technology industry for a, a, a female CEO and, and she worked her ranks up from very early in technology in the, in the 80s up to a CEO. And it's so wonderful to see how young women respond to examples of success like that. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, Misty, on a, on, a, on a classroom or school level, um, what do you hear from your students and other teachers in your district that's the biggest hurdle to getting students involved in computing and technology courses? So here in Georgia, we have a lot of different academic, uh, sorry, academic tracks or pathways for the students to choose from. Our school district offers 17 different pathways. Two of them are computer science, but only one of them is computer programming. So there's a lot of choices and quite of them are extremely popular. So students, they have to choose a pathway, a pathway that they want to take. And so it kind of depends on their schedule. They sometimes can choose two pathways but it still will limit their choices on what they can have. There's not enough time in their high school 
career to get everything that they may want. Dunwoody alone has 15 pathways and three academic that the students can pursue. Um, so that kind of makes it so it's very hard for them to make a choice. Yeah. Is it overwhelming? I think it is for the students because they want to take four or five. I actually have two children that attend my high school here uh -huh. that I teach at, and they have struggled with doing the pathways because they may have started one pathway and, and they didn't like it. So if they don't like it, they can switch, but then they, it puts them a semester behind on the next one they want to take. Right. Wow. Uh, uh, what an interesting conundrum where uh, it's almost a challenge of uh, too many opportunities or, or too many different options rather Yes, exactly. Uh, so when, uh, so your perspective is, is in the classroom. From your firsthand experience, do you find that the curriculum makes the difference, whether or not students stay engaged um, uh, when, the, when as students matriculate towards their pursuit of uh, computer science? So, yeah, I think the curriculum is important, um, but the technology, it's not going to be held back by a static or unchanging curriculum. Technology changes too fast. It's too rapid. Um, additionally, like no curriculum can meet the needs of all the students. So you have to be able to modify your lessons to the high level learners, the low level learners, you know, all levels of learners. Uh, we currently have standards that we follow, but it's not a specific set of curriculum. So I don't think curriculum is what engages the students. So like our CTA department, we're constantly looking at the ways that we can um, teach students and how they lean to be able to get them engaged. So I believe what engages a student is a combination on like the topic, the teaching style, and the learner. We, we have to be in a partnership, and sometimes not all partners are doing their part. <laughs> so when that's the case, it's a lot harder. And so I try to find something that maybe they're interested outside of school and try to bring that in as maybe a project or something to work on. Especially my girls, a lot of them have said that they, they just think it would be cool that they – know how to code. And I was like, well, why, why would you even think about coding? And the one said, because my favorite coder is a female. And I was like, who's that? And she said, Felicity from Arrow. <laughs> and so I thought sometimes it's those examples that they see that it doesn't have to be a male. It can be a female. Right. Right. And, and uh, I mean, I think you just enumerated so many effective instructional strategies that you as the teacher employ to engage your, your, your students, um, connecting with them socially, emotionally, academically, making sure that what you're doing is relevant to them. And if it's not, they're, they're, you know, way down the horizon, if it's even something that's relevant to them in that moment, uh, I, those strategies are incredibly effective. And, and um, <laughs> we can see why you're such a, a great teacher out there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sabine, we had mentioned a couple um, in or Sabine, we had mentioned in the beginning that there were far more jobs available in STEM and computing than there were available candidates. Um, so through your lens as a partnership organizer, are you hearing from companies that they are interested and they want to help invest in developing young talent, even as early as uh, the K-12 track for students? Absolutely, Jason. I, um, you know, I want to highlight that about two thirds of, of computer jobs are actually outside of the tech sector. So we, we certainly have broadened 
Uh, when we're thinking about industry, we've, we've broadened our interest, uh, if, I can, if I can put it that way, in terms of um, businesses that are absolutely invested in making sure that um, our students have that baseline. Um, so we certainly need teachers from diverse backgrounds and meaning teachers coming in from, from all, um, all topics. Uh, Code.org's delivery of professional learning is, is slightly different from other programs out there, which is lovely to hear. We each approach the problem from a different, different ways. We um, certainly encourage teachers who do not have background in computer science to actually enroll in our, in our professional learning for the very reason that we want to make sure that we have a well-prepared student, but also a student who understands that in addition to computing jobs, there is an opportunity for them to utilize their skill sets um, beyond the tech industry. So companies certainly understand that the workforce of the future will rely heavily on foundational training and that students must receive in their formative school years. So they are very often um, heavily invested in developing young talents as early as K-12. Our, our curriculum starts with pre-readers. Mm, wow. <laughs> so really making sure that they have that level of comfort, yes, with just logic thinking and computational thinking for them to, to just engage in that realm very early on. Uh, that's so interesting. So when, when I, uh, you can see that companies clearly have an interest in investing in their potential labor pool and as they matriculate up through school. Um, so, so what are, in that partnership between school districts and companies, what are some of the things that they do uh, to support the de development of that young talent? Sure. And so Misty mentioned one of the ways in which industry is certainly invested. Um, one of the ways that we're seeing or several ways that we're seeing industry being invested, certainly through our realm in, in working with Code.org, is um, industry committing themselves to getting students engaged in computer science by sponsoring events like computer science fairs um, or computer science recruiting events, um, supporting students in um, their performances, not only throughout the, the course, such throughout the class, such as an AP computer science course, but also investing themselves in supporting with, in supporting with um, tutoring to making sure they're able to successfully pass the AP test. Um, supporting other organizations like certainly code.org in the creation of, of products that continue to best support um, learning learning patterns of, of, of our younger, certainly of our younger students. So there are many ways um, in which these companies are doing so. Excellent. So let me uh, shift the, the focus just a little bit from companies uh, to educators. And, and Sabine, I'm going to continue down uh, the, the, the track that you are on. So if you had to share a tip for educators who are implementing new technology courses or programs uh, within their school, um, what would one in, like? What's the one thing that they need to get right <laughs> when moving forward? You know, I'm gonna try and see if I can sum it down to one. You know, and especially since we have you know Misty on the phone, who I know is going to share a little more with us. <laughs> you know, from my lenses, I would say make it relatable to the students. We are heavily engaged in um, integration of technology in other courses, like technology in an English class, a technology in an art class, 
encouraging students to create apps and or websites through these lenses um, rather than maybe some of the more um, scientifically, scientifically positioned courses that they may often associate computer science with. So I, I want to say fun and relatable for all students. Excellent. Well, that's a, that, that's certainly interesting. Uh, um, uh, Misty, I want to pose the same question for you. So if you had to share one tip for educators who are implementing new courses or programs, what, what would that be? And, uh, and much like Sabine, you, you have a little, uh, uh, you have some wide guardrails there, so it doesn't have to be a <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing I would say is jump in with both feet and enjoy it. Don't, don't wait until you know everything about technology. I was totally thrown into programming at, with very little knowledge. Um, and my son actually has helped me and he's in college. And so um, I'm still learning. So the technology courses are great environments to collaborate with other teachers as well with the students. Our, our students are so smart, especially the ones that are interested in taking technology courses. And like, if we give them a chance, they're going to surpass even their own expectations. So just don't be scared. <laughs> I love that. What a what a great way to form closure on this. Um, I first and foremost, I just want to say thank you um, so much to both of you, uh, Sabine and, and, and Misty. I, I think that this has been one of the most inspirational podcasts that we've ever done, and I sincerely mean that. I mean, I think of the young women in my family and. Uh, in the, 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 the other young girls in their schools, and you all are such an inspiration to them. So uh, um, you've provided so much helpful and applicable strategies that districts and teachers and organizations can do to improve the gender gap. So I wanna thank you for your um, time, and I look forward to the list our feedback on today's show. So please reach out to us with questions and comments um, at info at Opportunity Thrives, and write us a review on Spotify or iTunes. Thank you so much for listening in today, and we will see you next time.